Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. We're you can't see us. You can't see us. I'm doing it. I'm I'm waving my hand in front of my face. Ari Wasserman, Austin Meek joining us. Austin's here. He covers Michigan for the Athletic. We're going to talk Michigan spring football. They just had their spring game on Saturday. We got a lot to talk about with the Wolverines, but first we're going to talk about the uh, the I'm going to use air quotes controversy that is uh, just. All over college sports right now. Are you talking about that John Cena stole this from Tony Ayo? Is that the controversy? Exactly. (laughs) Well, there's that. There's everyone explaining the John Cena, you can't see me. But also, Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese talking trash to each other on the court in the national title game that LSU won against Iowa. This is a women's basketball podcast. Now, you listen to the last show. Ari was freaking out because... He lost a bet on South Carolina because they couldn't make an outside shot. I was to save their two lives. days later. I was complaining about it to my wife in the car, and she said, "Will you just shut the f up already about this?" She goes, "I don't want to hear about this anymore. I can't get over it." Okay, yeah, so it is so a, LSU yeah. could make shots, and they beat Iowa. But what everybody's all a twatterer, a twitterer, a twitter—I don't know—all just crazy about, about it. Yeah, is the trash talk, which. I don't, it's sports. Like one of the reasons I enjoyed watching Caitlin Clark all season is she's a relentless trash talker. So Angel Reese pulling the same John Cena move that Caitlin Clark pulled on somebody else. Like that's awesome. What are we talking about here? Yeah. I, uh, you know, the thing that is the reason why it's a problem and, uh, you know, it's not so much the trash talk. I think people are upset that people received Angel's version of it differently than yes. Caitlin Clark's. So that's what yes. people are actually arguing about. I think like whether two, or not it's tasteless or not, yeah. whatever. Like that is the dumbest thing in the world. The second part is why do you receive it one way with this person? Don't receive it the same way with the other. Right. And I know that Angel Reese's went on longer and mm-hmm. she was doing this. And well, she was pointing her ring finger, which, by the way, if you watch their Elite Eight game, she also did that when they won that game. It's not new. Like, Also, who cares if it's new? Like, This right. is the thing that bothers me about sports in general, and we've talked about this on the show, like even the flags in college football for excessive celebration. Right. Like, this is an entertainment product, and why can't we just be entertained by it? And, like, listen, guys, like, there is so much terrible shit happening in this world on a day-to-day basis. Like when you think about like the actual stuff that should be upsetting you and probably does like in the grand scheme of everything, like does how a person celebrates winning a national championship really even garner that much attention? Like it's fun. She's just accomplished a life goal. Mm -hmm. Um, They are fierce competitors who were talking trash before the game. Also, LSU was made out to be Finland. If we're talking like 1980 Winter Olympics, like. South Carolina was was the Russian was the Soviet team, and Iowa beat them, and LSU was Finland. And once you once you've beaten South Carolina, of course you're going to go win the gold. Like LSU was like, we ain't Finland, baby. We're winning this thing. Yeah. Well, the other thing too, you know, I have a I have <laughs> the guy's name is Tony Yeo in our chat. Good for you, bud. Uh, I have a very controversial thing that I want to say. Do it. And this has nothing to do with the thing. But like I was so taken back by how Iowa defended South Carolina and how they won that game that like I was not rooting for them. 
Like you wanted I, LSU I, like, to win. I you wanted, wanted LSU I, I was, to punish them for that. <laughs> I wanted LSU to just play basketball like a normal team and see if Iowa could beat them, and they did. Like to me, the the story of the entire tournament is how terribly Don Staley dropped the ball in terms of how she coached that team and assembled that roster. Because any like they were talking about LSU players were uh, how offended they were that you know Caitlin Clark was like waving off perimeter players and wasn't going out to defend them. It's like. I'm not offended by that. What I'm offended by is the fact that a team that went 36 and 0 and has a uh, has a head coach that people think should be coaching in the NBA somehow assembled a roster that doesn't have an identifiable shoot. Didn't she have to go to a walk on to shoot the ball? Like it's in, it's crazy to me. Um, so like, and I also think that Caitlin Clark is the best female basketball player I've ever seen play. And granted, I'm not a, a huge college female woman college basketball expert. Um, Caitlin Clark is tremendous. I also think that she hawks up shots from almost half court with three seconds into the shot clock when they're trying to make a run and plays kind of selfishly sometimes. So like I, well, if you're you know, just that, going that, by that, yeah, that was one of her more inefficient games Ari. So let's, well, but like who shoot like, I mean, Steph Curry doesn't shoot shots like that. Steph like, Curry it's like, frequently okay. shoots shots. Like <laughs> does, does he, yeah. No, but does he just like shoot shots? Like when they're making a run, they were down by like 17 and they finally, they cut it to eight and then they, crossed half or mid court and she just shot it from seven or eight feet behind. Like, I have no idea. Like maybe that's, that's just because she's so good. She can get away with she, it, but it's like, can, I felt she like she killed that. a few of their runs because well, of bad shots out of the flow of the offense. And also Jasmine Carson, who's the, the senior for LSU who came off the bench and scored 22. She was the one who couldn't miss in the first half. Like, yeah, she was the one hitting threes with people in her eye. And so I was thinking of you the entire time I was watching the first half. I was like, I, I know Ari is just celebrating now because Iowa has to defend threes. They're defending threes and they still can't stop them. Yeah. You know what? You know, too, it's like, I don't want to be the villain here because like, like Caitlin Clark is the protagonist of the sport. So I'm not trying to say like, well, I don't why is like Angel her. Reese the protagonist of the sport. I don't know. But like, I think She's it's because one of the best Caitlin players Clark, in the sport too. Caitlin Clark plays in a way that we don't see very often in that sport. Right. So, so here, like, here, here's my thing. Like, I, I saw what both of them said after the game, you know, and Angel Reese had a, a lot more pointed commentary about what she what she did and said. Caitlin Clark was like, I didn't see it. I know they said some nice stuff to me after the game. Caitlin Clark doesn't give a crap that Angel Reese was. No. And also, too, she's fine. Her she doesn't need your help. The she's the best player. Like Kim Mulkey, who's seen a lot of really good players, shook her hand and said, you are a generational talent. So like Caitlin Clark is the best player of her generation. She's going to see Angel Reese again. I don't think she's too worried about that. Also, she is a star who is probably going to be set for life now because of how iconic of a basketball player she is. Like. Random dude in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, who's arguing about this on tw on, on Twitter. Yeah. Caitlin Clark doesn't need your help. She's fine. <laughs> no, no. And Angel Reese doesn't need anybody's help either. Angel right. Reese is she's she's a force of nature. Like anytime I remember the first time seeing her play this year, like, holy cow. Like this is this is the person who you will follow to the ends of the earth, which that that team would. So. It was it was fun and all of this great for the sport because we're talking about it. We're recording this eight hours before tip off of the men's national championship game. I doubt we'll have that much to say about that. Yeah, I the just, other thing, like, yeah, you know, exactly. Time that game awesome. tips off nine twenty p.m. So yesterday, I'm sitting on the couch with my kids, in the middle yep. of a Sunday afternoon. 
My son, my daughter, they love that game. They're big Caitlin Clark fans. They're not going to watch that game tonight. I mean, I'll tell them about it in the morning. But like, I, the fact that we're talking about a women's basketball game today, I, I think it's, it's huge for the sport. Yeah, it is. And, and we've been talking about it all weekend and kind of all tournament because they actually – like we talk about parity in football and what, what NIL is doing because it's all, – all that stuff happens slower in football because you need more player – more game-changing type players on a roster to make stuff happen. But we're seeing it faster in basketball. And like we saw two number one seeds go down in the second round in the women's tournament this year. Like that never happens. Well, here's here's a good litmus test for you guys. Who do you think the biggest star is in men's college basketball this year? Uh, like, do we even know the answer to that question? Like the fact of the matter is, is that Caitlin Clark is Drew the Timmy, most recognized. Uh, Brandon Miller. Well, Drew Brandon. Timmy. When I went to high school with Drew Timmy. I don't even know how this guy's still in college. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just saying like from a recognizability standpoint, I think this might be the first time in my life that a f- woman's college basketball player is more known to me than anybody on the men's side. Now, I think and, the and thing I, th- I can compare it to is, so I was working for a newspaper in Eugene, Oregon, when Sabrina Unescu mm-hmm. was, yeah. was at Oregon. It was exactly the same phenomenon where you have just this like transcendent women's basketball player who shows up and just this whole phenomenon like springs up around her. Um, and it's, it's something about that sport, I think, if you have a player at that position who can just like elevate themselves um, into that position, just I, I, something about the game, you know, a player I think can take over the game uh, in that sport, maybe in a different way than in the men's game. And I think it, it lends itself to these really great stories like a, a Caitlin Clark or, or Sabrina. Well, and Sabrina got robbed of her, of her NCAA yeah. tournament. Her that, Caitlin that Clark they moment won. didn't yeah. happen because of COVID, which is like a, you know, a travesty, but yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's fascinating to me. It really is. And I, I do think with women's basketball, because the best players are going to stay probably three, four years at school, they have a chance to build stars probably better than the men's game. Now the men's game is going to have players that say like Oscar Shibway. I don't think he's announced a decision yet. Like he may be back at Kentucky next year because there are going to be certain kinds of players who aren't obvious NBA guys. And well, Austin, here's Hunter here's Dickinson. an example. Hunter Dickinson in the portal, you covered yeah. him at Michigan. Just mm-hmm. entered the portal. Like <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, if you're a seven foot two big man in college basketball who's like not super athletic, then your best your best fit is to be in college. And to make a bunch of money from NIL and like to live it up in college, which Hunter Dickinson did for three years at Michigan. And now he's going to go somewhere else for a year and do it somewhere else. And like he'll have a pro career. He'll play, you know, maybe overseas or you know, maybe he'll catch on to an NBA roster. But like he'll never have it better than he has it right now in college basketball. It's it, it is interesting because I do think we're, we're, we're actually going to be able to see stars get built up more in college basketball now. And there will be recognizable names and it'll be more like football where we have guys who have to stay minimum three years. Some of them stay four or five and it'll be maybe a little bit more like what we remember when we were kids from, from college. But like, I remember this is not, I wasn't a kid and I was, I think I was out of college when this happened, but remember the outrage when Corey McGetty left Duke after two years, like, what are you even doing? How could you leave? Or Elton Brand. Like, how could you leave and go pro? But now it's just like the best player. Of course, they leave after a year. But now they're the best player. Might not. They might. Armando Baycott sticking around another year. 
in college basketball. He's throwing out Perry Ellis gifts. So <laughs> it's it, it it's it's more fun, I think, this way. And so thank you, NIL, for that. It seems like uh, NIL has been pretty helpful on that front. But let us transition to the sport that this podcast is about most of the time, and that is football. Austin Meek, you just covered Michigan spring game. This is a situation where I always like the teams that are in a very healthy position, and you can tell by by their spring game because you might see a token appearance from a starter, like a big star, and then they're done, and it's just guys that you've heard about in recruiting. Like that's a healthy program, and that's what Michigan spring game was. Yeah, it was JJ McCarthy and a bunch of guys that you probably hadn't heard of unless you follow recruiting really closely. And, and that's like you said, like that's this position you want to be in Michigan as a program right now is in a spot where they can basically use the spring as like a developmental period for like the bottom half of their roster, you know, bottom two thirds of their roster, let your Mm -hmm. starters get healthy, give them a light workload in the spring. And then, you know, for Michigan, it's basically down to like a couple, couple spots, like a couple starting jobs that are going to be up for grabs. A couple guys that, that we got to see in that game who might be on the field as starters uh, when when Michigan opens the season, but really it's just a lot of roster development. A lot of those young players who maybe two or three years down the road, you'll see them in the starting lineup. But but right now they're just trying to get some experience. Austin, how good can Michigan be next year? Like when you look at what's coming back, the important transfers that they brought in after last year. Like, is this a team that should be favored to win the Big Ten and can win a playoff game in your mind? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I think Michigan has established itself right now as the team to beat in the Big Ten. Ohio State's going to have a new quarterback. Um, I would pick Michigan right now to win the Big Ten. I think Michigan is capable of winning a national championship. It's hard for me to predict that until they win a game in the playoff. Um, I haven't really dug in closely to see what Georgia's got coming back, or Alabama, or, you know, the teams that they're going to be competing with. But I think that this sets up to be Michigan's best chance to win a national championship since, since their last one in 97. Um, I I think they have the team to do it. What what amazes me about this, Austin, we're, we're less than three years removed from it feeling like the wheels were coming off. Like all of this was going to be a complete disaster. Meanwhile, in the past couple of years that they've lost a defensive coordinator, uh, they've lost an offensive coordinator, the, the co-OC quarterbacks coach has been fired in, in, in the offseason. Jim Harbaugh has flirted with the NFL twice, and it feels like they are stronger than ever. Yeah. Yeah, something, something happened with that program in that offseason after the, the COVID year where they just flipped a switch. And ever since then, it's like everything they touch turns to gold pretty much. Uh, it, it's To me, it's one of the, um, one of the craziest turnarounds I've, I've personally seen up close in my time covering college football, just because the, the mood, like you kind of had to be here, but the mood after that 2020 season was just so, so bleak here. It's like Jim Harbaugh is never going to live up to what people wanted him to be. It's a failure. It's like, you know, this just crushing disappointment for Michigan to be in this place. And then somehow it's like in the span of an off season, they just flipped it and they've been on a tear ever since. And it, I mean, it looks like it's just going to keep going. I mean, there was a point in time where people thought like, 
you know, maybe this is going to be like kind of a two-year flash in the pan because their recruiting has been a little bit down. But now the last month, they've had this run of commitments, and it's like they're just loading up again. Um, and they could be even better a couple years from now. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a really crazy transformation that they've made. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. Yeah, no, I actually thought, you know, that after the was the first year they beat Ohio State 21, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that that was like the perfect storm for them and that they, you know, everything seemed to line up and that would be a one-off uh, because of just the stark differences in recruiting. And then Michigan came back last year and beat the crap out of Ohio State in Ohio Stadium again. And now they're returning the majority of their team. And I, what I think is interesting is uh, I believe, like if I'm picking the Big Ten champion going into this year, I'm picking Michigan. You know what I mean? Like there's there's no reason why you wouldn't, um, considering all the things you just outlined there. Um, but my number one thing, and we talked about this, Austin, on Stars Matter a few weeks ago, was can Michigan finally use what they've done on the field to translate into recruiting wins? And since we last spoke, <laughs> they yes. got a few. Yeah, they they went into Ohio and got a top 100 player. Um, and then of course, have you heard of this guy's name that they got the quarterback? What, uh, yeah, you Dave, heard of this Davis, guy, uh, something, J- yeah. J- Jalen Davis? Is that his? Oh, Jaden. Da- yeah, the five star yeah. kid they've been recruiting for over a year. Forever, there yeah. was some worry. There was some worry about whether or not that was kind of, uh, you know, starting to slip away because he kept pushing his recruitment back. Uh, but he came and visited. Um, he met Sharon right. Was that for the first yeah, time Kirk in, in Campbell, person? The new quarterbacks coach. Yeah, uh, they, that and, was the first chance they'd had to meet in person. Yeah, in Austin they closed. Like, what is what does the last month in recruiting mean in terms of your faith in the longevity of the run they're having right now? I mean, this the twenty twenty four recruiting class I thought was absolutely crucial for Michigan in terms of of setting the foundation for what the next wave of Michigan football mm-hmm. is going to be because right now they have this group of stars. Had a bunch of guys come back. Blake Corum came back. Trevor Keegan, Zach Zinner, all these guys who came back basically for one more run at a national championship. And it's like, okay, are they are they putting all the eggs in the in this basket to win it all in 2023 and then see what happens after that? Or are they actually building something that could be sustainable? And this was a really big recruiting cycle for Michigan to stock up on on the next wave of players. And and so far they really have. I mean, this month of March has been I have to look back, but I think it's kind of unprecedented for Michigan in the time that Jim Harbaugh has been here. Typically, Michigan has been a team that has finished really strong in recruiting uh, and a team that has started a little bit slow. So for Michigan to be where they are, they're in the top five right now. Jaden Davis, a five-star player. Jordan Marshall, the running back out of Ohio. Um, this this start for Michigan is something that we, we haven't really seen lately. Um, and I, I think it really... You know, it, it really raises the ceiling for what this class could be, which then also raises the ceiling for what you think Michigan could be as a program. Like, are they getting ready to recruit at the level of Ohio State or or Georgia? I don't you know the we, reason why they wouldn't be. I don't know, like, why. Yeah. That's been my number one thing for the, the playoff. Past they're winning the ten Big years. Ten. Like, there's no, there's why no aren't reason they? they yeah. yeah, there's no reason they can't be that mix. Austin, I'm curious, how much credit does Sharon Moore get? for not just the on-field stuff, the offensive line play, the offense in general, but the recruiting part of it. It seems like he's a guy you hear recruits talk about quite a bit. 
Yeah. He probably doesn't get as much credit as he deserves even, but, but he's really been the constant with this program, him and a couple other guys. I mean, this staff basically has changed over completely from 2020 aside from, you know, Jay Harbaugh has been around and Sharon Moore has been here. And otherwise it's a lot of new faces, but Sharon Moore is really, I think, especially on the offensive side, the guy who has really kind of carried through the ups and downs of, of the last five years at Michigan uh, and come out as, as the guy who's now the leader of that staff on the offensive side. I mean, he really cut his teeth coaching the offensive line. They've, you know, back-to-back Joe Moore award winners uh, have been one of the best offensive lines in college football the last couple of years. And now Sharon Moore, he's got a lot on his plate, you know, as, as the play caller and the offensive line coach and a really big piece of, of the puzzle in recruiting. Um, but he's shown he can handle that. I mean, I, I think he's, you know, he's been as valuable as anybody at Michigan uh, over the last five years in terms of the turnaround that this program's had. So let's let's talk about some of these players because one of the things. Well, I, hey, I, hey, Andy, I oh, don't mean ahead. to interrupt you, but there's one no, other thing ahead. I wanted to ask him before we go into the current team. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I covered JJ McCarthy's recruitment. Yeah, I don't think you were on the beat yet at that point. God, I, we're getting old. Were I you? Did, were you uh, on the beat? So one of my first stories was I went to Nazareth and talked okay. to JJ. Like his look at you. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like when I went there, um, it was right after he committed, and he said that he didn't like the way that Ohio state treated him because there, there was some, um, if you go back and read the story, he like vowed that he would be the, the guy that led Michigan to the promised land. And I don't know how much credit he gets because Cade McNamara won the first one, Mm. but he is the quarterback now as we're having this conversation about Michigan's placement. So there's no question that JJ McCarthy, um, was an influential program changing commitment, but from a football talent standpoint, um, not that he isn't good and not that J.J. isn't going to be a pro one day, but what do you see out of Jaden Davis on the film or or what you've read about him? Um, is this a level up in terms of the type of talent they're bringing in at that position? Um, like, is this even more influential, you think, from what they can expect on the field? Well, I think Jaden Davis has been probably a, a known commodity as a recruit. Um, longer than than JJ was. I mean, Jaden Davis was, as an eighth grader was a big time recruit. Like mm-hmm. Alabama, I think offered him as an eighth grader. Um, he was the number one player in the class, I think, as as a, a sophomore. So he's just like been in the spotlight the whole time. Um, and so I, I personally think that's one of the reasons why he could be really good at Michigan because in order to succeed at Michigan at quarterback playing for Jim Harbaugh, like you have to be really, really mentally tough. And we've seen some players who like came in here and it was really hard for them in that spotlight with all the pressure of playing quarterback at Michigan. And so I think Jaden Davis could be really, really good in that respect. I mean, I think he just has everything that you want. I mean, you watch his, you watch his film and like he makes all the throws, he makes throws off platform throws. I mean, the creativity, the arm, um, you know, there's not necessarily like one thing that jumps out at you that like one trait he has that's above all the others, but he's just a really really solid quarterback who checks, checks all the boxes, you know, his maturity, um, his mechanics, like it's, it's just all there. And so, you know, I certainly think he's the type of player who could maintain the level that they're at right now with JJ McCarthy, or even take it a step further. I mean, I think Michigan as a program is probably going to be a better program for Jaden Davis coming into it than Michigan as a program was for JJ McCarthy when he came in as a freshman. So I think the combination of the player 
and then the pieces around him, certainly you'd think he, if not maintain it, can even maybe take it to another level. Andy, what do they think about J.J. McCarthy on Prospects to Pros? Have you guys had that discussion? I'm glad you asked that because, yes, I do host a podcast called Prospects to Pros on the Athletic Football Show feed with Dane Brugler and Lance Zerline. Dane loves J.J. McCarthy. Okay. He he thinks he could be one of the bigger prospects in the 2024 quarterback class, which, as you know, already is probably going to include Caleb Williams and, and Drake May. So... Yeah, I wasn't sure if he was a first rounder or not, which is why I asked him that question. Well, they, they like Austin, the t- that question. Yeah, yeah. Dane likes the tools a lot. Now, I I will say, if JJ's really good next year, there there may be a discussion to be had, and and if you if you think you might be number one, like you you will want to look at the 2025 draft class because if you're really good and you think you could be the one of the best quarterbacks in 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 a class. You might consider coming back. You may not want to be in the same class as Caleb Williams and Drake May. Like you may want to be in the next class. Yeah. And so that that's something interesting to watch because I, I don't know, but Austin, you tell me. It felt like they didn't put a lot on JJ until the Ohio State game. But when he needed to carry the offense against Ohio State, he 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 could. And yeah, yeah. I, I'm excited about right, to see yeah. a season where we know that's available to them. Yeah. I mean, Sharon Moore said that the other day, that there's going to be games this season where J.J. doesn't throw it very much, and people are going to be mad about that because it's like you've got this quarterback who could be a first-round pick. Like, let it, let him throw. Um, I mean, they've got Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, and I think they look at it like, we don't, we don't need to reinvent who we are. Mm-hmm. We just need to you know, be the team that we've been the last two years that wants to go out there and run the ball down your throat. And then we have a quarterback who, oh, by the way, uh, is going to be one of the best quarterbacks in college football, at least from a you know evaluation standpoint. His numbers may not say that. I don't think he's going to put up the, you know, he's probably not going to put up Heisman numbers at Michigan. Like that's one thing that why maybe it's, it's hard to recruit quarterbacks to Michigan sometimes is like, this is not an offense where you come in as a quarterback and know that you're going to throw it 35 times a game. But when they needed to do that in the Fiesta Bowl and and against Ohio State, like JJ McCarthy has that in his game, and I do think they need to open that up a little bit more this season. So let, let's talk about some of the guys that that you saw in the spring game. And there's a lot of the the better players didn't play a lot. Uh, the offensive line, we kind of know where it's at now. Ladarius Henderson is coming from Arizona State as a transfer. He's going to slot in somewhere there, but offensively. Who's kind of next? Who who do we not know about now who we will be talking about in, in October, November? Yeah, you know, one guy, we didn't get a chance to see him in the spring game. He he didn't play in the spring game, but but we'd heard some good stuff about him in the spring was Tyler Morris, wide receiver. He was actually a teammate of J.J. McCarthy's at Nazareth Academy. Michigan has to replace Ronnie Bell, which is one of the more significant losses for, for a team that didn't have a lot to replace. Um, so I, I personally think Tyler Morris could end up playing a pretty big role on this team. Um, Darius Clemens is another young receiver that we haven't had a chance to see a lot from, uh, but was a talented kid, a top 100 type kid uh, that just is kind of waiting for an opportunity. And then you know some of the young running backs, probably the biggest surprise of the spring game for Michigan was a guy named Benjamin Hall running back, who when he signed with Michigan is one of those players where it's like, why? Why? Why is he at Michigan? You know, he was like uh, seven fifty or something in the in the composite rankings. D- 
didn't have a great senior year at his high school. And there was like some question about, you know, if, if he should be at Michigan, frankly. And then he came out in the spring game and ran for almost a hundred yards. And uh, people have talked about him potentially being able to, uh, to be in the rotation as a freshman. So, uh, you know, that offense is so loaded that there's not going to be room for a lot of young players to step in and have significant roles. But I think we could see a couple maybe um, come in and, and complement the, the talent that Michigan has coming back on its offense. Michigan also got the, uh, the most, one of the more impactful defensive transfers, I think that, that you're going to see this off season in Josiah Stewart from, from coastal Carolina, that he's an edge rusher. He was first team all Sunbelt. You know, that's it. When, when Jamie Chadwell left coastal, you, you saw Stewart, you saw, uh, you saw that Drayson McCall, the quarterback, enter the portal. McCall ended up staying, but Stewart ends up at Michigan. It feels like he could he could be pretty impactful right away. Yeah, I mean, Michigan's had had great pass rushers the last five years or, or more, and I think he fits into that. I mean, he kind of reminds me of a guy who was here a couple years ago, uh, Josh Uche, who just had mm-hmm. a, a monster yep. season for the Patriots, uh, a little bit undersized. Maybe not like an every down player in the Big Ten, but a guy who like you want to turn him loose on third down, like he can really he can wreak some havoc in the backfield. Um, and we saw just little glimpses of that in the spring game. I mean, his 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 first step is quickness. I think he's going to be really disruptive. I mean, the big question with him is just you know he's six feet six one maybe two hundred and forty five mm-hmm. pounds. The big question for him is just how that's going to translate as he levels up to the Big Ten. Um, but I think Michigan's going to find some creative ways to use this guy. I mean, they've been really good at putting their best pass rushers in, in matchups and positions to be really disruptive. And, um, and I think he's definitely going to continue that. Austin, you might not have seen, uh, this in the spring game, but I was just wondering which player who was already productive last year on Michigan's team that's returning. Do you think has a chance to make the biggest jump and become like a household name in college football? If he isn't already. Probably Chris Jenkins. I'd say Chris Jenkins on defense. Um, I mean, he's been like what we've heard in the spring is like he was a good player last year, but he's getting ready to be like a monster this year. I mean, he, him and I would also mention Kenneth Grant in there. I mean, Kenneth Grant is uh, six, uh, six, four, six, five, and like 345 pounds. I mean, just a massive dude in the middle of that defensive line. And there were a couple plays in the spring game where Kenneth Grant came off the ball and just had the had the offensive lineman like in the quarterback's lap um, so I think those two guys are going to be really good I mean you know we talk about Michigan's got to replace Mozzie Smith and Mozzie was an important player for that defense last year even though he didn't put up big numbers I think he had like half a sack in his career uh, but he was a you know a, a really big piece of their run defense um, and just like the you know the guy who really held down the middle of that defense I think Michigan's going to be just as good next year um, up front and maybe, maybe even better. Cause I think Chris Jenkins is going to be really good. And I think um, Kenneth Grant's going to be really good. Mason Graham. I mean, that, that defensive front, I think for Michigan is going to be really stout. We'll be right back after these words. How have they been able to do this with Harbaugh openly flirting with the NFL the last couple of years? It, it, it seems like that doesn't even matter at this point. I think it may have hurt him last year. I mean, when you look at their 20, uh, 23 class, it wasn't, it wasn't as good as what Michigan is used to. And it, it started slow. And I think part of that might have been that period from basically the orange bowl until 
early February that year where it was very much in doubt what Jim Harbaugh was going to do. This year, he talked to the Broncos. Um, There was clear interest on his part in terms of exploring the NFL again. But I do think it was just like people realize like, oh, okay, we know what this is. He's going to look. And if he gets the offer and it's the right fit for him, he might go. But just because he's looking doesn't mean that he's going to leave. Like with some coaches, if it gets that far down the road where like your name's out there and you're, you know, you're, you're having conversations with NFL teams, sometimes that means like, oh, he's gone. But it's not that way at Michigan. It's like, this is just what Jim Harbaugh does. He's going to look into <laughs> it. He's going to explore his options, but it doesn't mean that he's automatically going to leave. Do you think that that's what he wants in, like in his heart? I think if he gets an opportunity to go back to the NFL, he will take it. Uh, I don't know if he's going to get that opportunity. Uh, now is, but is Michigan, because it feels like to me. He seems pretty Michigan, qualified to me. <laughs> but Michigan's, no. Michigan's set up to survive that and still be good if they feel like the next head coach is already there. I mean, I think Sharon Moore, certainly, uh, if he sticks around in Michigan, would be in a pretty good spot to be the guy after the guy if if Jim Harbaugh leaves. And I think that's part of why you know, there's not a lot of people like freaking out at Michigan when Jim Harbaugh's name comes up in this stuff. It's like, we'd love to have Jim Harbaugh back. You know, we'd love for Jim Harbaugh to finish his career at Michigan. But if he wants to go and he gets the offer, like nobody at Michigan is going to just like, you know, cry tears of of sorrow. Um, It's just, you know, next man up. I I think they feel like they've, they've got that now with the staff. It's a very Michigan man way to look at it. (laughs) Well, I mean, it is kind of crazy though, because, the first six years or so of his tenure at Michigan, uh, it felt like some fans there were just would welcome him leaving. And then they finally get over the hump. They beat Ohio State two years in a row. They win the Big Ten two years in a row, and they make the college football playoff two years in a row. And now's when you leave like that. Like to me, it's like this is like the we're, we're starting to get to the apex of program building here. And like this would be awful. I, if I were a Michigan fan, I'd be ups, really upset about it. Not yeah. mad at, at the coach, but upset about like anything that impedes the final line development of what could be ahead here I, in the next I, two I or think three that's years. how excited they are about Sharon Moore and what he's done. I think yeah, that's I the know. reason, right? Am, am I wrong, Austin? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely I think it it was hard for some fans to square the idea that for Jim Harbaugh, you know, he put so much into building this Michigan program and getting this Michigan program to where it is now. And like, why would you walk away from that? Like, wouldn't this be the time that Jim Harbaugh wants to say, like, I'm here for life. You know, I'm going to sign the extension that lets me retire here. Like, why is he, you know, why is he introducing this distraction at a time when Michigan as a program is now finally, you know, everything that people wanted it to be? I think that's a, you know, I think that's a valid question. But I also think like, over time, it feels like Michigan has become less about Jim Harbaugh. You know, I wasn't here like when he got here, but I think early on, Michigan was Jim Harbaugh. You know, it was all, everything at Michigan was all about Jim Harbaugh. You know, what, what wacky thing is Jim Harbaugh doing right now? I think over time, it's, it's, you know, he's still a big part of it. He's still the face of it. And, you know, I mean, he still does his, his share of you know crazy stuff, but it's also just more about the program, you know, the players that Jim Harbaugh has brought in, um, the team on the field, the staff, you know, it's more like he's part of what they've built as opposed to like Michigan just lives and dies with what Jim Harbaugh is going to do today. 
I also don't think that he thinks the same way that everybody else does. No. So like when when you say like why doesn't he come out and say I want that contract now or it doesn't seem like he's like with it when it comes to keeping up with what people are saying about him or what the perception of him is or or all that stuff. Like to me, I like thought, you know, he's won two in a row. He did what people thought he couldn't do. Like now would be the perfect time to leave. So you don't expose yourself to bad times again. But I don't, I also don't think that he thinks in those terms. Yeah. I don't think he cares. Yeah. I don't, like the whole, um, you know, perception of like, well, how does it look that Jim Harbaugh is talking to the Broncos you know, after after the season that they it had, doesn't I land. I don't think he cares. Yeah, yeah it, it literally does not matter to him. I, I that's what I think is amazing because I do think if this were Ryan Day or if this were Kirby Smart or if this were somebody else, it would. Could you be imagine a this happened with deal. Kirby Smart? No, like yeah, if if Kirby Smart was like the Dallas Cowboys suddenly decided like they fire Mike McCarthy and they want Kirby Smart, he's number one. I know that I know they're going to promote Dan Quinn. I know, but let's say they decided Kirby Smart was number one on their list. They had to have him. It would be just a whole thing right up until the moment he either said, I'm taking the job or I'm how staying many podcasts Jordan. would we do about that? All of them like <laughs> daily until it ended. You think about how many tentacles that has too. of like, what does this mean for Bama? What does yeah. this mean for the SEC? Uh, it's just like, but we did that last year with Harbaugh too. Like, let, let's not forget. We, did. we, we spent a lot of time talking about that. Well, we, um, did, we did it less this year because it felt like, oh, well, he just did this last year. This is just going to yeah. be his thing. So I just think that Harbaugh has put himself in a position through praise and criticism to walk through the rain and not feel the sun or the drops and to walk in the sun and never get sunburned. Like Jim Harbaugh is just out in Jim Harbaugh land. And I think that's great for him. Like, I don't, I just don't think he, that's because he broke the streak. He broke the streak, but I don't know. Did, did Harbaugh and you, maybe you can answer this better than I can Austin, but like when Harbaugh lost to Ohio state the last time, what, because COVID canceled like four years ago yeah. now. Has it 20, been that long? 2019 was the last game, loss, yeah. 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 Yeah, 2019. Like, did he seem differently? Like, did he seem like a broken man after that? Or did he just always oh, that remain was, unchanged? That was the game where the, the guy asked the question, is it recruiting? Is it coaching? And then Harbaugh's like head whips up. Like, mm-hmm. how dare you say it's coaching? Yeah, that w- yeah, I remember that moment. That was a, it was a pretty tense, uh, pretty tense post game after that loss. I mean, to me, the low point was the next year. I mean, that, you know, those two back to back losses to Ohio State in, in 2018 and 2019, where Michigan just got the doors blown off both times, um, that really kind of like set the table then for that 2020 season when, when they went two and four and then the game gets canceled and they would have lost by 100 if they'd played that year. Uh, all of that kind of, you know, swirled together to create that situation in that offseason that became like the catalyst for the, for the program to turn it around. But yeah, I mean, there, I thought Jim Harbaugh looked like a, like a broken man a couple times in that 2020 season. And now mm-hmm. he's just, I agree. He's just like untouchable. Like he's, he's living his best life. Yeah. He's, he's helping <laughs> cops get trees Pulling off tree the road. Out of the road. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. unbelievable. The, it, just the difference in really two years in like two months. <laughs> it's crazy. But Austin, it has been a pleasure. This has been awesome. We now need you to join us in our new feature. We started this this week. I have a feeling it's going to be around a while. Hey, this is the second time I've done this to you, Andy, and I'm sorry. Oh, God. But here we go. No, ask. Do we not, do we not talk about the fact that they took the, the flag that they planted in Ohio Stadium and put it in the museum? <laughs> like, are we not going to bring that up on our Michigan podcast? We can, bring podcast? It up. We can <laughs> talk about it. 
That's Isn't great. That, like, is Harbaugh just feeling himself right now? Well, if you remember, somebody asked him on a like a teleconference after the the Big Ten championship how how he felt about his players planting the flag at the middle of Ohio Stadium, and his answer was, "I'd like to get that flag and put it in our museum." And I, <laughs> so when he said he that, I was like, "Oh, okay, right? yeah, that's kind of a funny answer." And then you walk in there. No, they actually got the flag, and they actually did put it in their museum. Well, that's great. it's field turf. You can't actually plant a flag in it, as Baker Mayfield learned when he was at Oklahoma. <laughs> it's not about the planting of it. It's the uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I think it's Ohio symbolism. State yeah. is the is the lead is the college football leader of p- opposing flags being planted. Like I, I don't yeah. know. Has that happened at a lot of other places, or no. is it just always? Well, can you imagine? Like, I'm trying to think because. Now, Georgia doesn't play a lot of the the people who are threats to beat it for the national title at home. Like they they aren't in the same division as Alabama. So they don't usually see them till Atlanta. They don't usually play LSU. Auburn hasn't been good enough. So, you know, I could see like George, the Georgia Auburn series is one that is salty enough. And both the difference there is both stadiums have natural grass fields. So if you planted a flag, it will stick. And I feel like that would create more controversy or more anger. But I'll give you an example of how petty the Georgia Auburn series is. 2007, they play that the the Soldier Boy song, Crank That, at Sanford Stadium. And everybody's dancing, Georgia's kicking Auburn's ass, like Vern Lundquist is dancing in the booth. Like it was a thing. 10 years later, Georgia's number 1 they're at Jordan Harris Stadium and Auburn is kicking the crap out of them. And I can't remember if it was late in the third or earlier in the fourth. You hear that ding, 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 and the crowd just goes insane. And the whole crowd and the whole Auburn sideline is doing the, the crank that the Superman and, and it was wild. So maybe Georgia, Tennessee could wind up being something like that where somebody plants a flag at the end of the game. Because again, both. Both natural grass fields, they do play home and home. So, like, now they don't play in Athens again until 2024. So, and we'll we'll see what the SEC schedule looks like at that point. Maybe they don't. But it is, uh, oh, it would be something. It would be something. But, yes, Ohio State is that type of Darth Vader type program that you feel like, yeah, beating them at their place is worth planting a flag. Yeah. It's a stake in the okay. heart. Yeah. Andy, as All you right. were. Sorry. We're on to our trivia portion of the show. We're going to do this every show until we forget to do it, which, you know, we forget things sometimes. But I thought it was fun yesterday. So I say let's do it again. The category is music today. I have come up with a question. Ari has come up with a question. I think Austin has come up with a question as well. Question. So Did you? All right. I yes. Question. I thought so he was Austin, lifeline. Okay. Well, he he is our lifeline. If need, if I can't answer yours or if you can't answer mine, Austin is going to be our lifeline. Austin, uh, you know, you, you don't have to show your hands on the YouTube stream, but if if you don't want people to think you're looking it up on your you're laptop, cheating. Show, show your right. hands. Right. Or you can um, do the I don't feel my seat. Oh, can't there see it my is. <laughs> Austin's, Austin's doing the I'm at the movie theater on a date. Like, stretch. I like it. All right. So, Ari, I found a question about your favorite artist. Oh, boy. Which Tupac album spent the longest time? All eyes on me. At number one, 
on the Billboard Hot 200. No, it is not All Eyes on Me. That spent two weeks on the uh, on the top of the chart. Who's but voting for this stuff? This is Billboard. This is album sales. It's SoundScan. It's not a All voting Eyes on thing. Me has like nine of the nine of like the top fifty hip hop songs of all time on it. Yes, How was it not well, All Eyes it, on Me? It only spent two weeks at number one. What is it? Is it Greatest Hits? Do they count? Does well, that also count? To, it, it's it's not the greatest hits either. Um, it's another one when he was still alive. There were three posthumous albums that hit number one, but only for a week at a time. Um, so I mean, I don't even, I don't even it's know another, what else it could be. Uh, it, it it doesn't have as many. All eyes on me has a lot more hits. This I mean, the one, only I ones that say, I can think of when he was alive, like Me Against the World, came out a year before, right? But that mm-hmm. that can't be it. Could it not? Is that it? That's it. Four weeks. A lot of it also depends on what came out around it. Like, what other albums came out oh, at the same yeah. time? That makes no sense to me because, like, that was, like, wasn't uh, All Lies on Me, like, after Tupac got out of, out, out of prison yeah. and linked up with Death Row Records? Like, that's, like, it was the height well, of... Uh, me Against so. the World, it, it doesn't have... Like, Me Against the World and Dear Mama are the two biggest hits on on that album. All eyes on me. It probably. I guess has Dear, Dear Mama hits. is probably like one of his most yeah. widespread played hits, right? Well, like, I, I was going to go with with the single because he only had one single that reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100. But I didn't realize it was a double sided. It was California Love, which is really a Dre song, but they they credited it as a Tupac song. It was on a Tupac album. But how do you want it is the the lead actually the lead single. It's a two sided single with how do you want it in California Love. Okay. So like which yeah, one of like, those was the number one song? I mean, they're all on there. Yeah. Ambitions as a writer's on there. Like they have like I think yeah, you're like, looking all at about all eyes on me right now. Yeah. Yeah. All all about you is on there. Like like I think like eight of his Cal- most California, recognizable songs. Yeah. California Love and How Do You Want It are on All Eyes on Me. So go look at the track list for all eyes on me and tell me that's not the most complete. If you're a rap fan, the oh, most it's, complete it's album of all time, just in terms of like, not just songs that are good, but songs that change the category. Uh, Austin, you a big rap guy? Uh, here and there, here and there. <laughs> um, I'm glad okay. that you did not need me for the lifeline. Let's put it that way. Well, I, I was wrong. So I, I <laughs> you could have saved me for myself. Picture me Rollins on that record. Okay. I ain't mad Here's at mine. you. Go ahead. What was the first rap group or person to win a Grammy? Oh, God. And it can be the first Grammy. It doesn't matter what so the category it was. I am, I, I'm embarrassed because I'm probably going to get this wrong. Though it's I, 1989, I, I sh- too. I Christina. should know the answer because I'm reading The Come Up by Jonathan Abrams. It's an oral history of the rise of hip hop. And it, oh. it goes, yeah, it goes from like DJ Cool Herc in the Bronx all the way to now incredible stuff. And so I should know this cause it was a thing like all of basically all of the originators of rap got shafted in the Grammys. Like you're going to die when I tell you the answer. It's going to be right. It it's going to be something okay. completely stupid. So it's 89. So it's not vanilla ice. Cause that was after that. Um, but it's going to be something stupid like that. Uh, it's not the beastie boys. Oh man! Da, 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 is this this gonna be like da, when Jethro Tull won da, the best da, da, the best heavy metal da, album or something like da, that? Da, 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 uh, 
All right. Yeah, I'm going to need a hint. Is it solo act Austin, or group? Austin, uh, do you have any? Can you help him? Um, so I don't think, based on the way this is developing, I don't think this is going to be right. Um, Tribe Called Quest. It's not. No. Okay. The Fat uh, Boys. It's going to be something yeah, like a be something novel. It yeah. is, it is a duo, but you're still not going to get it. Rob Bass and DJ Easy Rock? Nope. Oh, all right. Go ahead. Tell me. DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh oh, Prince's parents don't understand. That's right. That's right. <laughs> 1989 now, Grammy for best rap performance. I will say, very interesting in that book that I'm reading, DJ Jazzy Jeff is considered one of the better turntablists of all time. Sure. So he was he was very well respected. And like Will Smith at the time, the that type of rapping. You know, it goes back. It's similar to like Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight. That's a storytelling raps. But it that putting those two things together had not happened yet. So they were actually considered, they, they were fairly respected within the industry. But that is, when you think about all that was passed over to get to that. Yeah, I don't know who else was nominated, but like, it's just like looking back at it now, it was just that's just a television show, you know. Also, uh, I loved Parents Just Don't Understand because I was 10 years old and I, I agreed with Will completely. Every you know what I think said. is the funniest thing about like 90s, late 80s, 90s hip hop rap music is that at the time it was being produced like Tupac and Dre and all those guys, NWA and all that, that they were like feared. There were news articles, segments on 60 Minutes, all about oh, yeah. like how terrible. And now, like, if you go look at where all the people are, like Snoop Dogg is a cartoon character. Oh, the dude was on trial for murder. Snoop and now Dogg he's on the Disney beloved. Channel. Right. Well, so I was living in South Florida and Ice Cube school, makes, makes and- Disney movies. And that was when two, all the two live crew stuff was going on. When, like when the, the record store owner in, in Fort Lauderdale was getting arrested for obscenity charges for selling the album. Like it was wild. And they were holding congressional hearings. I, it, it was fun when I did my story on a, I did a story on Luther Campbell coaching high school football years ago for Sports Illustrated. And it was, it was interesting because his, his wife at the time, I think they've since divorced, but his wife at the time was, was had she was an attorney or she was telling me like when she met him she was in law school and they were doing a unit on his case that went to the supreme court like the one where uh the roy orbison the the acuff music sued him because they had oh pretty woman it was a parody song and so thank thank you luke for uh making parody songs legal for all of us that's it's what and luke by the way still coaching high school football and one of the like if you if you want to talk about a recruit in south florida you give luke a call he know he'll he'll hook you up he'll tell you what's what, what's real so but that that is as chris says it was dj jazzy jeff and the fresh prince on the first rap grammy that's wild and matthew c is a little annoyed that both of us picked rap as our thing so Austin, if you have your question, is it rap? It is not. Yeah, we're gonna okay. we're gonna switch right, it. Good. We're genres here. <laughs> okay. Uh, contemporary, contemporary okay. question. All right. Uh, band Boy Genius just released uh, just released a new album. Supergroup, uh, composed of uh, three notable solo artists. Hmm. Can you name one of them. One of the I, three. I probably can't name any of, of them. Boy Genius. 
So these are these are contemporary stars. These are people who are are putting out music now. Correct. Yes. Is one of Wait, them Harry so, Styles? Uh, all women. All women. Oh, all women. Well, that, that's uh, confusing. Wait, so this means that they were all like recognizable solo acts first and they came together to create something? Am I understanding Correct. that correctly? Yeah, Is yeah. Lizzo one of them? Uh, no. No. <sighs> Jennifer Lopez. No. Are Beyonce. Younger or older? Or like, are, are these artists under 30? Uh, around, yeah, late 20s, early 30s, probably. Late 20s. Uh, Ariana Grande. Uh, no, one of them uh, smashed a guitar on SNL a year ago. Miley Cyrus? No, you're getting warmer though. Demi Lovato? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This is this is how bad I am with with. I have I have become the old guy, but I'm I, I've actually infected my kids. Like my kids sound like <laughs> old people when they talk about music. Like, There's no good music nowadays. <laughs> all right, you guys. Give well, up. that's what's happened. Like all of our music that we grew up listening to is now the oldies. Like, and it happened in the last five years. So um, I have no idea. I'm who not even going to pretend. Yeah. Who are the okay. three? Uh, I'm Phoebe. not even sure I have heard of any of these people. Okay. Wait, if you say Phoebe Bridgers. I have uh, heard of her. Yes. Lucy Dacus. Julian Baker. Phoebe uh, Bridgers is the only one of those I've heard of. Okay. So, all right. I, tell you what. You hook me I've up heard. with some old school hip hop and I will hook you up with some boy genius. Yeah. I'll, I mean, I'm always up. open to like, here's the thing that I've. I remember when I was a kid, my dad. These is are actual huge, musicians that you're talking about, Austin. That's good. I, uh, I appreciate well, that. I, I, I remember who play instruments. <laughs> when I was a child, my dad had a probably a group of a hundred songs that he listened to all the time. Whether we were in the car or he likes listening to music at home, I would hear it over and over and over again. So, like, I know a lot of lyrics and songs just institutionally about the Beatles and stuff. And like, if I go home now as a 30 year old man, I will still hear the same songs that he listened to when I was a kid. And he got to a point where everything that he likes to listen to just isn't made anymore, you know, and that happened 20, 25 years ago. So everything that this man likes is basically a song that's been out for 20 years. And like, I don't ever want to get to a point where my only collection of music that I can listen to in the car I enjoy is like stuff that's been out for a long time. I want to try to remain cool and hip and understand, you know, different musical genres. And, you know, I want to try to understand new hip hop artists, even though a lot of it just sounds terrible to me. Um, losing so, battle, man. I'm, I'm well, and that's a, I don't want to yeah, be there, like that. There's there's still a few people making good. Like I like country. Parker McCollum's fantastic. He, you know, he he he's a real musician, <laughs> play plays guitar like and, and that writes great songs. There, there are still people out there doing that stuff. It's just, it, it feels like it's either fewer and farther between or just because the SoundCloud generation, they're the ones that do all the, you know, listening on Spotify and, and control all the algorithms, basically. They're, they're doing the biggest numbers. And so you get a lot of stuff that's produced on a laptop, basically. And it's not the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm old enough that like I discovered music on on the radio. Like nobody nobody discovers. Remember music waiting on the for radio. the song you want to hear on the radio? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember having a cassette ready, yeah. locked and loaded, and then yeah, when it came on the radio, record, being able to hit record right, on it? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh. Uh, I haven't listened to the radio in 20 years, though. I find it to be impossible to listen to. 
I, I listen to Sirius XM sometimes when I want, because sometimes like you'll open Spotify or Pandora and it is just too much. You have the entirety of music to choose from and I just get paralysis by analysis. I'm like, okay, I don't know what to do now. And so I'll go to Sirius XM just to hear it, just to have it curated for me. Or I know I'm going to hear a song that maybe I haven't heard in a while. It'll be like, oh yeah, I love that song. And I add it to one of my playlists somewhere else. So I, I try to do that every once in a while just to get out of my rut. Yeah. See, I'll listen to the radio if I want to defeat the algorithm. Like, ah, okay. You're not going to tell me what I want to listen to right now. I'm going to listen to whatever this radio station gives me, and I'm going to like it. My, we got a clock radio for my 11-year-old, and it you know, just got FM and AM. And so she has it on the, the greatest hits of the 80s, 90s, and 2000s channel. And so I'll, when I go in to wake her up in the morning, I'll just hit the button and turn it on. And it is crazy to me. <laughs> What what comes on like one morning it was sailing by Christopher Cross and like, and, and but she was so fascinated by it. she'd never she'd never listened to terrestrial radio before like she didn't even know how it worked I was like okay if you want to go to the to the current pop hits you want one hundred five point three if you want you know the rock is one hundred point five and she's like what are, what do the numbers mean what music is your daughter gravitating toward naturally. She no, so she and her brother both take piano. Both are learning to read music. They like older stuff. Like she's a she loves Queen. Um, he loves my son loves uh, Guns N' Roses and Metallica. Like they they are kind of old souls when it comes to that. I, wow, I, yeah. Because I, I, I have also gotten my son into like early two thousands hip hop bangers. So like he loves Jeezy. <laughs> and, but it's funny because none of that stuff like i was like what was i listening to like put on the jeezy song yeah it sounds like 15 years old yeah it is crazy how long how how quickly time has gone and i'm just like waiting because my wife is a huge country music fan mm -hmm. and i until i met her would never spent five seconds listening to country and there's some uh you know like sam hunt's got a few bangers country, and country is what pop was 20 years ago but it sounds kind of poppy to me. It's very poppy. Insulting. But that's why, um, like, the Parker McCollum guy I, I told you about is more of a country singer, uh, more kind of Texas Red Dirt style. And, like, Chris Stapleton's great. He's very popular, but he also makes very good music. But every time I drive my daughter to daycare, she's in my car because she hasn't gotten to the point yet where she can understand what she's hearing. I just listen to rap music, like, unabashed, like, complete <laughs> non-edited version whatever i want to listen to like hardcore rap and we, i'm very we went curious with like, we went with edited versions but the gym that, that he was going to was playing the unedited version so it didn't really matter he was hearing them all anyway she doesn't know what she's hearing who cares if it's a curse word or not what well and, a, and my son's 13 like he's in middle school they hear that stuff anyway now yeah I just like I just like sometimes will look into the back seat and she'll be like she's bobbing her head <laughs> bobbing her head and it's just like the most you know we're just selling about weapons or just rapping about weapons and she, drugs. And she's she, just like back there just bopping. East Coast or West Coast? Both. I don't I don't discriminate. I'm from I mean, is she, Arizona. Is she, is she bad boy or death row? That's, so, but that's the thing, really too, matters. is that she's also very much like into the Disney songs now. Like if you play a Disney song on the TV, mm -hmm. it's like laser beam. Oh, yeah. Sucks you right in, right? Like, speaking of so, algorithms, they make those with algorithms unconvinced. Dude, I'll tell you one thing. 
the Coco Melon songs and the ones that they just play on YouTube for children. Austin, have you you know been? Oh yeah, we're deep in sucked that world. into the yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah the billions and billions and billions of views that those videos have. Those people are rolling. And it is the same. If you like listen to it, it is the same song over and over Just again. Just think about it, if if we could if we three could have come up with come up with one thing Baby that people We wouldn't have to do this anymore. But yeah, and when I say like how much are like I think you could google it right now. How much are Oh after this, we need a we need a what is Ari's Google search history? Coco Melon is a widely popular YouTube channel with estimated net worth of one hundred and seventy five million dollars. Nice. Um. All right, Ari, read read your search history now. I just did it, and it's like, oh, that's why. Uh, Uber Eats. Oh, okay. this is going to be a bad. It's not. It's not going to be a good one today. Oh. Because I am doing a research project with Dave Oven, Ubbin and Mitch Light that is very intensive on recruiting data. So all oh, so it is just, are names in 247. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, but I appreciate the effort. Next week, I'll up uh, every now and then you should just send me a text like on a Tuesday afternoon. Take a screenshot of your stuff and yep. then I'll send yeah. it to you so you know I'm not cheating. Love it. So oh, um, Jacob in the chat with a great question. What were our first concerts? I can tell you my first. My first was I was four years old. Jimmy Buffett at Carowinds, which is an amusement park on the North Carolina, South Carolina border. Uh, I, my mom was dating my stepdad at the time. I, maybe I was five. I think I was five, maybe. And uh, I fell asleep. I think we all know probably why I fell asleep. It had nothing to do with the music. I actually ended up liking Jimmy Buffett. Paid Have paid to go to a Jimmy Buffett concert as an adult. But I think we know why I fell asleep. So... What about you guys? Austin? So I don't think this was this wasn't my first concert, but like the first concert that I intentionally went to by choice. Yeah. Um I went to see Bob Dylan in high school. Whoa. Which was kind of a weird thing to do in high school. And it was in like it was in Salina, Kansas, in like a like a weird like indoor basketball arena. How many how many people are at this Bob Dylan show? Probably about I don't know 5000 maybe. And and like Bob Dylan doesn't strike me as a play the hits kind of guy. Not the most like charismatic uh performer and if you ever like his whole thing is like he doesn't play yeah, he doesn't play any of the songs that you want to hear and if he does he like intentionally plays them weird. <laughs> um, so like not uh, yeah if, uh, all around bizarre choice by me but i did do that in high school that is but that's that's a hell of a story to tell you well, saw bob dylan it did yeah yeah what about you Ari? my my first concert i didn't go to any concerts in high school believe it or not um unless you account like a rat pack impersonation show i don't think that counts though uh Big Laughlin, Nevada guys uh, in my family. But, <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I will say we saw a, a Rat Pack impersonation, Frank's, and it was incredible. Like, I, I was like 12 years old when we went, and I, I'll never forget it. Um, but my first, and everybody who might not know this about me, like, I am a deep, deep hip-hop head. Like, that's all I listen to. Or 99% of what I listen to. My first concert was in college. I went to see Talib Kweli in wow. concert on campus. And um, 
they were playing some of the Black Star uh, songs, and then Most Def came out, and no one knew he was there. And the entire like audience like erupted when he like, and that was like my first. And then I, you know, I saw Kanye in concert in an arena. I'm not a big arena person. Like if I want to see a concert, like I like the intimate setting better. I was gonna say, and hip hop shows don't necessarily lend themselves to arena. Well, I think Kanye was the first show that I ever went to that had like all the production of like ropes and flying around and lasers and like it was like a show. Um, But like just like a. 2000 person venue of just straight rap what everybody knows all the words is like the best experience ever so yeah i've i haven't really been i once saw childish gambino in a living room in la which was pretty cool like me and like That's 20 other people he was he was standing like now five feet from me where was just, donald like, glover's it. acting career at this point was he was he Dude, on community was he was he um, huge at this point already or, or was this he was so my buddy in la this i'll never forget this it was 2014 so you have to look that up. This is the year it yeah. was. But Ohio State had just won the Big Ten championship game the first year of the playoff. And my buddy sent me a text while I was at that game saying, hey, this might be weird, but somebody DM'd me randomly on Twitter and said, I have uh, two tickets to a private show to see Childish Gambino in an undisclosed location. You can come if you come to L.A. And then my coworker, Doug Maurice told me, go. Like you're you're young, like we've got it. Just go for two days and then fly back. So I flew back, and the day I landed there, I had no idea where the concert was going to be. Still, and then we just got some random address in the Hollywood Hills, mm. like four hours before the show, and then we drove, and it was this big ass mansion. And they scanned our tickets from our phone, and then confiscated our phones, and then like Donald Glover performed for like forty or fifty people in a living room. That's his first awesome. record. <laughs> Um, and like he, it was so bizarre too, because, you know, Donald Glover is kind of a weird dude. I understand. Right. Like he's not most, most, so, most of the, you know, torture geniuses are, I mean, so this guy, we're all in there and they're playing music. They have like Doritos, which I thought was hilarious. They're like, we're handing out Doritos <laughs> and we're all down there for like 25 minutes or a half hour when we get there after they take our phones away. And like, I'm, we're like mingling with random people because it felt like a house party. Um, and then all of a sudden, like the lights went out and then Donald Glover came downstairs and he was not wearing shoes and his hair was all messed up. It looked like he had just woken up and he like walks down, makes eye contact with nobody, gets in front of everybody and does the entire camp record wow. from start to finish. And, and so then puts the mic I just down. Looked it up. He's, he's done with community at this point. Yeah. And he's I mean, he's a very well-known yeah, this was like Actor a. I, I bought a last minute, point. yeah, a last minute plane ticket to get to L.A. to see this, and then after he was done with the concert, which was like I think an hour, if you, if it's even a concert, he put the microphone down, didn't look at anybody, didn't say anything, and walked back upstairs and shut the door, and then that was it. We were asked to leave. Like there was no mingling with him. He made no eye contact. It was just kind of like, this is my gift to you, but don't talk to me. Uh, but yeah, that was one of the cooler experiences I've had, like in terms of entertainment. That is. That's wild. Like, I can't. And I'm even so imagine. happy I did it because most people would have been like, "Ah, eh, it's too short notice, or it's too expensive to get out there." Like, you know, that's what life's about. Like, if you have an opportunity to do something that is not something that you come across every day, I encourage you to do it because it's like I have that memory forever now. When I was in college, so this would have been probably like 2004, 2005. I didn't go, but I had some friends who went to one of the festivals, like Bonnaroo or one of the festivals. Yeah, and they came back. And they were talking about the uh, the best acts that they saw, 
And they were like at a, you know, one of the side stages at like two in the afternoon, like nobody's there, like six people are there. They kept talking about this, uh, this performer they saw was uh, Lady Gaga with like (laughs) four other people. Wow. No, no clue that like, oh yeah, this person's going to like headline the Super Bowl someday. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. It is. It is amazing that you could go to a show. And see some opener like I saw Kendrick Lamar open once for I don't even remember who the concert was and like no one knew who he was and then like now he's like the you know like well, if you go to the right show the opening acts sometimes turn out to be really famous. Well, he's the most talented rapper of this generation. So I, yeah, I, I don't I don't it, feel yeah. like that's a that's a much of a hot take there. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was cool to see him. Yeah, wow. Well, gentlemen. It has been a pleasure. I like I like where the trivia takes us. I yeah. think this is good. We got to keep this up. So it's April, it's April. Let's yeah. let's just like let it ride. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Austin, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. It's guys. been a pleasure. And the the Michigan thing is, I mean, I, I am legit excited to watch Michigan play football this year. I think this is, you know, this is this is as good as, as you put it, as good as they probably can be or or have have been have had the capability to be we'll see because like Ari said the way they're recruiting now now maybe the the ceiling starts going up so this will be a fun year we will be checking back in before the season starts for sure Austin so get your trivia question ready for that day oh, as I will. well I will. <laughs> thanks Austin see you guys